everyone. My name is Ryan Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, you can visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Justin Pereira, assistant coach with the Oakville Blades. A coach who has quickly made his way through the ranks coaching minor, junior, and youth sports, Justin pays close attention to the fine details of the game, and more importantly, builds strong relationships with his players, all evident in the context of today's conversation. With that, here's Justin Pereira, assistant coach with the Oakville Blades. The second round is in full swing, and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day, and the best part is it's free-to-play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. You just download the DraftKings app, go to Pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Justin Pereira, assistant coach with the Oakville Blades. Justin, thanks for joining the podcast. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm glad to have you on. And I know you reached out there a few weeks ago and we've had some context uh, and conversations back and forth. But I, I think you have a unique position and, and kind of going through some video coaching and then coaching behind the bench and different things like that. It uh, It offers a great perspective. So for our listeners, maybe just start off telling them a little bit about yourself, talking about your upbringing, playing sports in your early years and some more background on you personally. Yeah, so I grew up in Oakville, Ontario, which is about 30 minutes outside Toronto. And like any boy in this area, you grow up uh, loving and watching the blue and white. So I just remember every every Saturday was dedicated to watching Hockey Night in Canada. And then, you know, you're in your driveway or your backyard emulating players like Matt Sundin and Doug Gilmore. And that's how I fell in love with the game. Uh, so I started playing. I was fortunate that my parents put me in hockey at the age of five and I uh, grew up playing in the Oakville Rangers uh, organization. Uh, then when I was 13, I actually went to go play uh, for the Toronto Junior Canadians in the GTHL. And in my minor midget year, I was very fortunate enough to play with Ryan O'Reilly. And it's funny, you see the 30-year-old captain in the National Hockey League now, and he had the same traits when he was 15. <laughs> Extremely passionate, disciplined, dedicated, highest work rate player on the ice. And you know, I, I played one year with him, but I learned a ton from him then. Um, so after my four years with the Toronto Canadians, uh, I was able to play four years at the Tier 2 Junior A level here in Ontario, 
uh, played with the Milton Icehawks, Aurora Tigers, and ended with the Tranger Canadians. Um, after that, I didn't get the opportunity to you know, advance to the collegiate level, so I had to call the career short. Um, but that's when I went into uh, Brock University, obtained my uh, physical education degree, and that's where I also started my coaching journey. Yeah, no, it's always interesting to hear kind of what overlaps in, in your minor hockey career. And, um, you know, definitely an elite player you mentioned there to be able to to learn from and, and throughout your junior experience. But um, just maybe transitioning then into your schooling. I know you went to Brock and kind of went through phys ed and, and went along that route. Um, just talk about maybe how sports impacted your decision in that regard. And uh, maybe just talk about your experience at Brock overall. Yeah, so... I went to Brock University to obtain my uh, certified strength and conditioning specialist certification. When I was playing hockey, I, I fell in love with, you know, physical fitness and strength and conditioning. And in order to obtain that certification, you had to have a university degree. So simply went to Brock for that reason, obviously uh, got my degree and then was able to obtain my certification a, a few months uh, after that. And, and now I'm a uh, certified strength and conditioning specialist. Yeah, no, and it's great to hear kind of how quickly that that uh, fell into place. And we'll definitely get into more of that area as well throughout the interview. And um, the next role I want to talk about is, is your time with Canlan Sports. And uh, maybe just talk about the process of developing as a coach with that program and, and just give your, uh, your general experience uh, during your time there. Yeah, so I was a, uh, an instructor for eight years, on-ice instructor, eight years at Canlan. And really, when I when I started working at Canlan, it wasn't a means to you know get into coaching. I really just wanted to make some money in the summer as a summer job, and also a part time job in the evenings when I was playing uh, throughout my junior career. So, uh, looking back at it, though, two things really stand out for me for my time at Canlan. The first thing was it gave me the confidence to teach and instruct in front of a large group. When I was 16, 17 years old, I was extremely introverted, very shy. I was comfortable just being the puck pusher on the ice. Um, but I remember before one of the on-ice sessions, uh, and our, my coworker came up to me and said, you know, I think you have the potential of being a good coach, but you're so shy, you're so introverted, you got to get out of your comfort zone. So you're running this session. I'm going to be the puck pusher. You tell me what to do. You tell the players what to do, and you got to figure it out. And I just stood there. I'm like, oh, boy, this class is not running unless I, I step up to the plate. So, again, it just – and from there, I just got the confidence to present in front of a larger group. Um, and working at Canland, it also presented me with the first opportunity uh, to coach. One of my coworkers presented me with an opportunity to start coaching uh, at the, the AAA level in Toronto. So uh, those two things I'm, I'm kind of very thankful for in my time at Canland. Yeah, those early experiences, I think, go a long way. And uh, I know there's been a few uh, coaches on the podcast who have kind of mentioned that they've you know quote unquote been thrown into the fire or thrown into the deep end sometimes with those uh, early experiences like you said just being told you have to run a run a session on the spot and it definitely forces you out of that comfort zone and and i'm sure thinking long term it, it played a, a key role in your development and um you know moving forward you also got involved into the team coaching outside of just maybe the practices and things like that and uh just maybe break down your experiences then as an assistant coach uh, working with AAA players in the Bantam and Peewee loops with teams like the Toronto Nationals, Niagara North, and then eventually Oakville. Yeah, so I got my uh, start with the Toronto Nationals. So I was in my second year at Brock University when an opportunity came, uh, presented itself to be an assistant coach with the O2 program. So um, that year was a tremendous year. Like I learned a ton. Um, I was able to coach some great kids. Um, 
And it was it was a challenging year, though. If you look at the win loss column, definitely a challenge. Uh, it was also a challenge. I was you know a student at Brock taking five courses and traveling three to four times a week to Toronto. Um, you know, an hour and a half one way. But looking back, just the experience that I gained, it was my first year coaching and the head coach at the time gave me the whistle for practice, you know, 80, 90 percent of the time. So I was kind of learning on the spot, you know, what drills work, what drills don't work. How should I structure uh, a pro- you know, appropriate practice to an enlisted learning? So really uh, learned a lot that first year uh, and then just fell in love with the, the, the coaching uh coaching role so my second year I want to you know coach a little closer to uh, Brock University so an opportunity presented itself where I was the assistant coach with the 03 Niagara North program and again just uh, uh, an opportunity where I learned a lot I was able to coach some great kids and uh, a moment there occurred that I'll never forget and really showed me what coaching is about and it was our last game of the season I had to tell the team that I wasn't going to coach them anymore because I was actually moving back to Oakville. So I addressed the team after our last game and I'm middle, middle of my speech and I see a boy out of the corner of my eye, just put his head down into his hands and starts crying. And, you know, I reflected after I'm like, you know, I didn't teach that. That boy's not crying. because I taught him, you know, how to skate or how to do a toe drag. He's crying because we built a great relationship. You know, he knows I cared about him. He knows how we connected. And that's what really, like, showed me what a coach is about. It's about creating a relationship and a bond with your players. Um, and then from there, then my third year, I moved back home to Oakville. Uh, I knew Jan Lewick, who was the head coach at the time, the 05 Trip Light program. And I just reached out to him, asking if he was looking for an assistant coach. He, uh, he then brought me on to his coaching staff, and it was uh, a tremendous season. Again, coached some outstanding young men. And, um, you know, this year it's their 05s, their draft year. And I was able and fortunate to coach players like Callum Ritchie, Nick Lardis, Luke Misa, who will be first-round picks in the OHL. So, you know, 99% of the time I was a cheerleader on the bench. Um, but, again, another moment really stands out in that year that solidified what coaching is about. And we were in the provincial championships in the bronze medal game and uh, the a new coaching staff was coming in. So the players known that it was our last, it was our last game together. And right before we were about to step on the ice, we got held up in this room. It was the players, myself and two other assistants. And there was not one dry eye in that room. There was tons of emotion. And, you know, it just showed me again, it's like, it's, it's about the relationships. These kids are crying because one, they care for each other, but also they know how much as a, as like a coaching staff, we care about them. And, Quite frankly, as a coaching staff, we know how much they pour their hearts out to play for us. So it's a moment in my time that I'll never forget. And very fortunate to coach uh, those those young men. Yeah, AAA hockey is definitely a, a different beast. And, um, you know, the kids are so passionate, especially representing their hometowns or, or their, you know, like you said, the, the camaraderie amongst uh, teammates and coaches. And being a young coach, you kind of have that different relationship as well. But it just sounds like everything was very positive and, and it kind of jump-started the coaching bug, as they say, to kind of keep moving with it. And the next opportunity that you kind of found yourself in was working with the University of Toronto as a video coach. Uh, maybe break down the the process of joining that team and then maybe the learning curve associated with the position. Yeah, so this would have been in 2017. So that season I was assistant coach with the 05 AAA program in Oakville and then also taken on this role as the video coach of the University of Toronto. So uh, Ryan Medell had uh, just taken over the program at the University of Toronto. I'd simply just reached out to him looking if he was to bring on any members to his coaching staff. And he came back to me saying he was looking for a video coach. And if I was interested, I could interview. So 
Uh, went into the interview, met with Ryan, met with also his assistant coach, Andrew Dovey. And Ryan just kind of went through all the responsibilities of a video coach. You know, you have to live track the game. I want all these systems clipped. Uh, you're responsible for the pre-scout. You're going to watch two games of our opponents. Again, you're responsible for taking in, you know, all their systems. These are systems I want clipped. So, and I'm agreeing with all these things, you know, in the interview, I can do all that. Sure. You know, you have to be efficient with laptops and, and cameras setting everything up. So I leave the interview nervous as can be. And just saying like, what did I just get myself into? Cause back then the least tech savvy guy, you knew I was, I was a pen and paper guy and barely knew how you work my iPhone. So it came to that point. It's like, well, it's either I quit now or I put my head down. And I figure it out. And I'm very thankful that I did that and spent two years with that program. And looking back, I'm, I'm grateful for two things. The first thing is the relationships and the friendship I built with Ryan Medell and Andrew Dovey. Those two are our lifelong friends. Uh, and the second thing is just the ability to use video. I think one of my strengths now as a coach is the ability to kind of put together an individual video package for a player or a team video package and teach through video. If it wasn't for that University of Toronto experience, I would have never got that opportunity. And then just watching the game from, you know, that bird's eye view, the game is obviously slowed down a little bit. You're able to anticipate things as a coach. And um, yeah, I just really learned a lot from, you know, taking a different perspective. Yeah. And a different perspective, essentially the video coaching role is really adapted to that. And, uh, I think you're seeing more and more programs, especially university, uh, you know, smaller budget teams, but they're able to to have people like yourself come in and 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 work in that role. And even minor hockey now with things like Instat and, and their own individual um, team coaches and, and filming, you're seeing pretty much every level invest in video. And again, it, I think it just kind of goes to show the trend that players want to see their play. They want that feedback, critical feedback at times. And um, for someone like you early on having that experience, I'm sure, like you said, it, uh, it, it pay dividends kind of moving forward. Um, the next thing I want to talk about here is your time with Epic athlete development. I know strength and conditioning, obviously kind of your background. So, uh, just talk about that and then maybe your role and, uh, just give people some more insight into, uh, into that program. Yeah. So Epic athlete development is a, it's a small strength and conditioning facility here in Oakville. So I'm the owner and head coach of the facility. So I opened May 2019 and really just training athletes, uh, primarily hockey players from the ages of 11 up into uh, the junior uh, junior ranks. So I really run two programs out of this facility. The first one is a learn to train program. So that's between the ages of 11 and kind of 13 years old. So really introducing uh, athletes to physical fitness. And my objective from that uh, program there is for the athlete to develop a positive relationship with fitness. It's about them getting introduced to it now and being able to, you know, want to do physical fitness when they're 20, 30, 40 years old. Uh, and the second objective is just to make sure that the athletes acquire uh, the right, you know, exercise technique and learn the proper fundamental movement pattern. So how to land properly, how to change direction properly, learning the squat pattern, the hinge pattern. It's really about, again, developing a positive relationship with fitness and working on exercise technique. Uh, and then the second program is a train to train program. This is usually 14 plus. Now, you know, training's taken a little bit more seriously. We're trying to enhance some of our fitness variables to improve on ice for performance. So we're looking to improve strength, speed, uh, anaerobic capacity, mobility. Um, and also we really work on our uh, recovery systems. You know, we talk a lot about nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing technique. 
Um, but the, the number one objective I have for this facility is to make sure that each athlete is strong and their bodies are prepared to withstand an entire season of play. I'm not really concerned how much these guys are front squatting or bench press because at the end of the day, they come to me to improve as hockey players, not to you know, break records in the gym and all of a sudden they're injured for you know 10 games or so. So it's about making sure that their bodies are prepared best they can to withstand an entire season of play. Yeah, we talk about video being a, a trend that we're seeing grow, and I think fitness is, uh, you know, rapidly growing, and, and it has been for some time just because, you know, there's such a high demand on their bodies now with the game the way it is, and I, I think that really um, it kind of translates to more more facilities and programs like yours that uh, really target that, and especially even from a young age, you know, uh, like you said, uh, kind of in their into their junior years. So, um, I, again, I just think it's it's great to hear when programs like that are successful, and and are able to help uh, hockey players and just other athletes and, and people looking to, um, you know, pursue that area. Another role I want to talk about here is your time as a head coach uh, with the Oakville Rangers Bantam AAA. Um, I know you kind of went as an assistant coach for a few years and then finally got the head coaching opportunities. So again, maybe just looking at that year specifically, just talk about the, the difference in being the head coach and um, just your experience in, in taking over that role. Yeah, so me and my staff, uh, we're going into our third year with the 2007 AAA program here in Oakville. So we took over in Pee Wee, and the plan was to have a four-year build up until minor midget and see this uh, this program through th- through their draft year. So uh, really, we have two objectives with our program. The first objective is to make sure we're developing the player and person and providing them the uh, appropriate skills to advance their careers to the next level, whether it be you know, major AAA, tier two, junior A, or major junior. Um, and then the second goal and the overall goal of the program is to make sure that we qualify for the OHL Cup. We want to get into that tournament to provide our players with the opportunity to showcase their skills to, you know, OHL scouts, OHL GMs, OHL head coaches, NCAA coaches. Um, and again, yeah, just showcase their skills to help them advance to the next level. Uh, you know, to go on that, you know, that question on how different is it, I think it's totally different. Um, as an assistant coach, you, you know, how you have a little say in the skills you want to work on in practice or, you know, how we should structure practice. But as a head coach, both hands are on the wheel now, you know, and you look at how do you want to develop your program? So it's right from the start. What's the objective of the program? What is the foundation of the program? What's our, our standards, our practice standards? Um, and then what are the skills that we want these players to acquire to be able to advance their careers? So that some of the skills, the habits, Uh, some of the positional skills you're working on. And then also just, again, structuring practice uh, to best enhance development for your players. Yeah, responsibility, uh, it definitely changes hands, uh, you know, between the assistant coach and the head coach. But um, I also think it's great when when you kind of go into a a minor hockey program and a AAA program with those long-term goals of, um, you know, like you said, development and, and showcasing the players' talents. And uh, while winning hopefully does uh, kind of play into that as well. And, um, you know, Oakville has traditionally had a, a pretty strong program. So we've seen that as of late. But, uh, you know, in terms of having that development, first and foremost, it's also uh, great in that regard. And, uh, you know, being around Oakville and, and having these responsibilities, it was only a natural transition to eventually go to junior. And uh, for you, that opportunity came with the hometown Oakville Blades. So maybe break down the opportunity of, of moving in with that team and uh, the experience there thus far. Yeah, so Jamie Storr, who's the president of Oakville Blades, uh, had reached out to me. We have a couple of mutual contacts here in Oakville, and they just put us together. So 
uh, Jamie was looking to bring on a, an assistant coach to the program. He thought I'd be a good fit. And so we had a couple conversations and just the way Jamie, you know, broke down his development plan and how he structured a week, how he structured practice, some of the skills and habits that he wants his players to develop before going to the next level. Um, and just his overall, you know, development program really aligned with my philosophy. Um, and I just thought it was going to be a terrific learning opportunity. Obviously, being on a staff with Jamie Storr, who had a successful career in the National Hockey League, Jamie Allison, who had a successful career uh, in the professional levels, and then Ross Sloan, who played four years at Plattsburgh and was a captain on uh, one of those years. It was just a terrific opportunity for me to learn. And like you mentioned, it's a hometown team. I grew up as you know, seven, eight, nine-year-old going to all these games and watching players that had successful junior career and pro careers play for the Blades and uh, just a terrific opportunity to, uh, for me to, you know, be a part of a great program. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think making sure that you're in the right fit, even as a coach is, is very important. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, some people will say, oh, well, I'll go wherever, but it's also good to to feel like you're in the right situation and that long-term development again, especially at the junior level is the goal. And, uh, for you that that ultimately went to Oakville and you're able to take on a role there that you're very comfortable in then um, you know working with junior players and you've worked with uh, minor hockey players and and even some players at the university level uh, for you personally what are some of the major differences in working with these age groups and does it really kind of change any of your approaches um, you know ultimately as a result yeah so one thing I will say is it was obviously a challenging year this season with my first year as an assistant, because realistically with the restrictions, it was 10 players and usually one or two coaches. So a lot of times I, I wasn't able to go on the ice, but the, the times I did, I was obviously able to learn a lot from Jamie. But I think the one thing that stands out from teaching, you know, our coaching at the youth level, the coaching at juniors, just there's a lot more at stake. You know, with the youth level, you have two objectives make sure the players are developing, but also make sure it's fun. At the junior level, obviously it's, you know, you're not the NHL, so it's still about developing, making sure the player's developing, that you're developing the player in person, and also, you know, making sure you're creating a fun environment for them to come to. But, you know, they they also are looking at their careers long-term, and they they have goals to, you know, get to the NCAA or play major juniors. So, you know, so with some of our initial coaching staff meetings over Zoom with the Blades, you know, we're talking about, you know, how if we're not playing, how do we showcase our players to NCAA coaches? Then you also have, you know, some advisors and agents involved, just making sure their their players are in the appropriate spot for them to get exposure and for them to develop as well. You know, if you look at it from an organization standpoint, you know, how are we going to, what's our uh, fundraising ob objectives? How are we going to uh, generate revenue? So that's something you really don't have to worry about as a minor hockey coach, but definitely have to worry about, as uh, a coach at the at the junior level and the other thing i'd say is at that age there they want to know you know it's the old cliche but why they're doing things you know why are we doing this drill why are we you know incorporating this structure in game even an off-ice perspective why are we doing this exercise at the youth level 12 13 years old you can just give it to them and they they go do it but i think you have to provide the why what's the benefit for doing certain things yeah no great points there and and like you said, junior hockey just has so many different people involved and, you know, their kids are a bit older. So uh, there's some more accountability and, and like you said, more questions about drills and uh, ultimately more input, which I think makes junior practices maybe more development de developed Sorry, at times. And, um, you know, just having all these experiences is uh, is really key for kind of understanding the bigger picture and ultimately making that next step in your career. But I know a lot of people and, and people we talked with on the podcast don't actually go through that minor hockey experience, whether it's 
AAA or a lower uh, level in the minor hockey loop. So uh, from your experience, how important do you feel it is for coaches or, or prospective coaches looking to get into the game to have that experience of working with the youngest players before ultimately taking the next step? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's massive to be honest. I think there's a couple benefits to coaching at the youth level, but the, the one thing I'd say that really jumps out is you go down to the fundamental root of being a teacher. You know, I think John Wood had said it best is he doesn't consider himself a coach. He considered himself a teacher. And I think, you know, you have to remember at the youth level, you're working with 10, 12, 14 year olds. If you're, you know, showing them a skill or concept, it might be the first time they're ever learning this. So you got as a coach, be able to break down that concept to its simplest level, give them one or two key teaching points because you can't overwhelm them with six or seven because they're going to, they're not going to learn that skill or concept. Give them one or two key teaching points and be extremely patient. They're going to mess up they're, That's, that's a part of the learning process, the mistakes, and they're going to take a tons of time to learn what they're getting, you know, what they're uh, getting taught. So again, just being a teacher, I really think is one thing that's really helped me as a youth coach, breaking down the skills, one or two key teaching points and just being very patient in the learning process. Yeah, that patience really is so key. And especially the younger you get, uh, you know, maybe at the minor midget level or U15, U16, it might be a little bit easier. But if you start going down a few different levels and, and then maybe not AAA, going down to AA, it's, uh, it, you start to see some different types of players and, and different ages and, and different, um, you know, parts of their development. So uh, I, I really do think that patience uh, is something that is definitely taught at the minor hockey level. And um, you ultimately need that uh, in place before you can kind of take that next step. And, uh, you know, you've worked in a few different positions uh, throughout the different levels that we talked about, and um, that included head coach, assistant coach, even video coach. Uh, just from all those experiences, again, drawing on every uh, position you've been in, how important do you feel it is to have cohesion amongst those group? And while the head coach ultimately makes the decision at the end of the day, um, do you feel it's still very important to have all those other voices kind of giving their input throughout the process? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I believe in that 100%. Yeah, I think I think the heartbeat of any elite culture, elite program is total alignment from top down. Um, I think one of the pillars to a successful leader is their ability to communicate. You know, everyone, there's no gray area. It's got to be black and white. Everyone in the program or organization has to know, okay, this is our objective. Here's our daily standards here's our vision, here's how we're going to get there. Um, and just that communication skills. It's a little little off topic, but it just goes to the point on just the value of communication, everyone being on board and no kind of no gray area. Uh, the past year, I've done a lot of research on, on learning. Um, and one thing that really sticks out to me is, you know, there's usually one reason why, you know, whether it be a student or, or a uh, player, an athlete doesn't learn is because there's usually a massive disconnect between what the coach says and what the player or the student uh, pictures it. So what I did this year, uh, for instance, is I used a common terminology meet. I used a, I had a common terminology meeting and I broke down, you know, here's seven key terms that the coaching staff is going to use often. And I defined what that word is and then backed it up with video. So for example, when I said sticks, I defined it as when you're checking on the puck, stick on ice, checking away from the puck, stick in a passing lane. I provide on video. Second quick, third man in a one-on-one -on -one -on -one battle, again, provide a video. So there's no gray area. It's black and white. And I think that's how just important communication is amongst everyone, a part of the organization. Um, and then just, you know, 
not being afraid to get input from, you know, your assistants or your video coaches. I think sometimes as a head coach, you're pretty, you have the, the blinders on a little tunnel vision. Like this is what I believe in. This is what's going to work for this program. But your assistant coach might have, a, you know, an outstanding idea that's never crossed your mind, but can really benefit the program. So you got to be able to take in information from all your coaches and then come up, uh, you know, with a conclusion. So I think it's vital to get a, a information from everyone involved. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, everything I've been involved in and uh, the, it seems like every level you go to, those who are successful, especially in that head coaching role or um, if you're looking at the whole range of hockey operations, you look at a general manager or director of hockey operations, they really do kind of allocate um, different things for every staff member and also taking that input and uh, director of scouting obviously being another position that's very important to have that key quality. But uh, when you have all those voices kind of rolling on the same page, it's very easy then to kind of manage a, a bigger group as well, just because everyone is working towards that common goal. And, uh, you know, you have a black and white image for your players and um, they they aren't being hauled in different directions with different voices. So at the end of the day, it just helps the organization, helps the staff, helps the players and ultimately makes a, a good situation for all those involved. And uh, before moving into coaching for you personally, I know you had that playing background, so you got to see kind of how the process works. But until you actually got into that position, um, maybe how did your expectations, like how were they met when you ultimately got into coaching? And uh, maybe what were some things that you kind of maybe had guessed wrong and kind of had to adapt to, whether it's uh, just the actual task of coaching or some of the conversations, et cetera? Yeah, uh, I it totally changed my perspective on what coaching was and in a great way. I thought coaching was you showed up to the rink for practice, you put together four or five drills, players executed. You show up on game day, you throw your structure on the whiteboard and just hope your structure beat the other team's structure. And I was totally wrong. The first thing I learned in coaching is it's about relationships. You got to build an individual relationship with each player. You got to connect, you got to care, you got to show them that you love them. And I believe it's about the player believing in you, not really buying in. It's believing in you, believing in you as a coach, believing in their teammates, believing in the program. That was the first thing. The second thing is you got to be a teacher. Um, at the end of the day, if you're not a teacher, your players are never going to learn. So the ability to, you know, create an environment that elicits a, a learning, you know, when and how to provide appropriate feedback. So your, your athlete can learn and develop, uh, and then the last thing I learned was you got to be a relentless learner as a coach. Each day you got to seek out information or else you're doing your athlete a disservice. Uh, at the end of the day, if you're not going to grow as a coach, your players are never going to grow. So trying to be a relentless learner uh, to help your athletes get better. But, it's, you know, I fall in love with the, this coaching profession, but it's definitely been a lot different than I expected in, in a great way. For sure. And I think every position I've been in personally, uh, you, you kind of have a, a mindset or almost a vision of, of what it's going to be. And I, I never think it is exactly what you expect. And um, I think every team and every situation is different. And I, I personally, I kind of like that challenge, just having um, kind of to adapt on the fly and uh, again, be thrown out of your comfort zone because I ultimately feel that's how you learn a lot in this game. And uh, it's a great point then about coaches having to be on that learning curve as well, along with the players and uh, making sure that they're staying, you know, quote unquote ahead of the times and, uh, a lot of ways that you can do that is through conversations with people. And sometimes it's learning from different resources and things like that. And the people at my hockey resource have created a platform to allow people to have these conversations and seek out these different learning tools. So for anyone looking to make more connections or, or have conversations on these topics, 
be sure to check out my hockey resource on Twitter and Instagram. Justin, one of the things that they talk a lot about on that platform is exactly that about uh, looking into resources and learning from things, whether it's books or um, conferences or softwares, uh, all these different things that you can think of. So for you personally, what are some of the things that you have used in the past or even used today that you would like to share with listeners, whether it's um, books or, or different resources? Yeah, so definitely from a, from a kid that only read, I think, one or two books his entire high school journey, I read about one or two now a month. So definitely look for books in terms of learning. Um, listen to tons of podcasts, including the Hockey Minds podcast. Um, and then also just listening to different coaching interviews and not so much hockey, but just different sports. So love listening to coaches at the NCAA basketball level, like Shaka Smart and Porter Moser. I uh, love like that college football, Dabo Sweeney, and also some soccer coaches like uh, Pep Guardiola and Yargon Klup and just how, you know, how they handle wins and losses, some common terminology that they use that can, you know, maybe translate to the game. Um, one thing in particular I've done the last few months is, you know, an area of the game I'm trying to prove on is the power play. So I've been just kind of researching and studying who had the top power plays uh, in division one, division three, men and women's, and just reaching out to their either head coaches and assistant coaches and picking their brain. Like, you know, how do you set up your power play? What's some of the principles? What's the structure that you use? How often are you practicing it? So, you know, if you have an avenue or an area of the game that you want to excel at, just, you know, research who has the top, you know, whether it be penalty kill or, you know, who had the most goals and, and reach out to those coaches and have conversations. Um, in terms of books, I'll circle back to that question. Uh, three books kind of I recommend for, for your listeners in terms of uh, growth. The first one would be The Coach's Guide to Teaching by Doug Lemoff. It just totally changed the way that I coach and how I structure and design practice to enhance learning and how to provide appropriate feedback at the right time for your players. Uh, the second book would be uh, Above the Line by Urban Meyer and just his leadership and how he uh, you know, establish his culture and sustain his culture at both Florida and Ohio State. Um, and then the last book, if you're, you're really big into coaching autobiographies, would be uh, All In by Porter Moser. So he's currently the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooner men's basketball, but he, he used to run the program at uh, Loyola Chicago uh, for 10 years, and he took them to the Final Four in 2018 at just a very small school. And again, how he established and sustained his culture. I've read that book three times, and I I learn something new each time. I draw inspiration from it because it's just all about positivity and energy through his uh, through his culture. You know, uh, you know, a resource is is great when you're you're going back for the third dose or even more down the road. But uh, no, it's a, a lot of great um, suggestions there. And again, as we see with uh, you know time and time again with podcast guests, a lot of times it's not the hockey specific resources that um, teach you something new. But sometimes it's going outside of. Uh, maybe the normal of what you'd expect to learn and, and then kind of going into things like soccer, basketball, leadership, um, or even just personal development and all these different resources. So, um, you know, a great list there and, and a number of things that I'm sure listeners will will dive into. But one of the things that I found really interesting was how you said you reached out to different coaches who, uh, you know, have, have developed good power play or penalty kill systems and, and kind of picking their brain and that's the way I learn. Ultimately, that's the reason for the podcast, just having these conversations and picking apart uh, people's brains on different topics and creating those connections. But, you know, you do it more long term, you always gravitate towards a few people and, and ultimately they become mentors for you. So, Justin, throughout your career and in the last number of years coaching, 
who are some of those people who have uh, really shown you the way, taught you new things, and ultimately push you forward in your career um, to date? Yeah, for the for, so first growing up as uh, a young man, it would have been my parents. My my dad showed me uh, what discipline and work rate looked like. Waking up each day at like five five thirty in the morning to go to work, and my mom, what selflessness and, and care looks like. Uh, in terms of a coaching, coaching mentors, I have three mentors that I always look to for advice. Um, so first would be Jan Lewick. So Jan is uh, the vice president of the Oakville Rangers, and he used to be the head coach of the 99 Oakville Rangers with Evan Bouchard. And he, he was the head coach of the 02 Oakville Rangers with uh, Luke Evangelista and uh, Cameron Tolnai. And he was the head coach of the 05 AAA program with guys, again, like I mentioned, Callum Ritchie, Nick Lardis, Luke Misa, first rounders in the OHL this year. Um, and he showed me what a teacher looks like, but he also, he showed me how to create a positive and safe learning environment while also being competitive. He's won nine champ league championships, um, but he's developed so many great players and great young men. And I can guarantee if you ask those players, uh, about Jan, they, they'd say he made that environment fun. And it's uh, really, really thankful for his mentorship. Second would be Ryan Medell, the head coach of the University of Toronto men's program. Ryan showed me you can be a coach of faith, run a terrific program, uh, and hold people accountable. And when I was there for two years with Ryan, he really helped me strengthen my faith uh, and very thankful for his mentorship and friendship. Uh, and then the last would be Andrew Dovey, the assistant coach with the University of Toronto. We used to always carpool to every game together. So it's usually an hour to and from the rink and always just talking about leadership, culture, X's and O's, skills. And he's just got a, a really progressive mind and really thinks the game differently. And, you know, always we're still we still talk once a week, just picking our brains and uh, you know, very thankful again for for his mentorship, and I've learned a lot from him. Yeah, those uh, those car rides can definitely be a, a great place to learn uh, in the carpool. I know I've uh, I've picked uh, quite a few brains in that in that same situation. But um, you know, starting with your parents and then moving into more hockey specific uh, mentors, you know, it's great to have that community around you, and it really makes it more of a seamless transition. While there are ups and downs, and, and hard work and long hours in between. Uh, when you build that get community and that system around you, it ultimately uh, leads to success for you both on and off the ice. And you're now in a position today as a coach and, and having gone through some of these experiences that maybe you can reach out to a younger coach and, and give them a, um, some insight or or maybe a Brock student who's looking to follow a similar path. So as a final question on the podcast today, what's one piece of advice that you would give someone who's looking to be successful in coaching and hockey operations? Uh, get into the game to help people be be a person of others. Uh, I think if you're looking for, you know, the glory or, or the money, uh, you're not going to find true fulfillment in this game and especially in the coaching profession. But I think if you build the relationships built on, you know, care, trust, love, that's when you're going to get true fulfillment uh, through coaching. Uh, and yeah, I just really, you know, could, would recommend them making sure they're getting in for that reason. Yeah, a, a strong statement there. And I think at the end of the day, um, you know, if you're if you're in it for yourself and in for the money, uh, you know, you're going to be sadly mistaken because uh, a lot of times it, it doesn't end up being that way. And and if you do end up making it a full time career, it does take uh, quite a bit of effort. And, um, you know, you, you want to enjoy the process the whole way. So I really think that's a, a great statement and a great lesson for for listeners to take in. And 
with that, Justin, I think that's a great way to finish out the podcast today. So once again, I just want to thank you for joining me and, um, and reaching out and then having these conversations, which led to the interview today. I thoroughly enjoyed it and, and feel like I learned a lot about the coaching process. And uh, with that, I just want to wish you all the best moving forward. Well, I appreciate having me, Ryan. And yeah, I've listened to the Hockey Minds po- podcast quite a few times and you've had on some terrific coaches, some terrific minds and uh, what you're doing for the game is outstanding and helping, you know, coaches like myself grow. So I truly appreciate that and uh, best of luck going forward with podcast. All right. No, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, the pleasure is all mine. All the best. Thank you. One thing that fans within the game, hockey minds, and players can agree upon is that when done responsibly, there's nothing better at the end of the day than a cold beer that you enjoy for both its taste and its aroma. And this segment of the Hockey Minds podcast is brought to you by Kitty Vitty Brewery. You can visit their tap room now open seven days a week and their new retail location in St. John's, Newfoundland at 16 Harborview Avenue. If you're one of those people who are maybe looking for some more entertainment, somewhere to sit with friends, you can definitely check out their original location in Kitty Vitty, Newfoundland. Join the Kitty Vitty Craft Club at kittyvittybrewery.ca and give them a follow on social media to keep up to date on the latest brew news. If you're not from Newfoundland and not from the East Coast and you want to get involved, definitely follow them on social media and learn more about their beer, which is great for a casual beer drinking fan and also the beer enthusiasts. And stay tuned, because who knows, maybe they'll find their way to get their beer to a location near you. Check out Kitty Vitty Brewery today for more information on their beer, clothing, and all things Kitty Vitty Brewery. I'd like to thank Justin for joining me on the podcast and talking about his career in the game. As I mentioned before, Justin has started from the bottom and made his way through the ranks, showing the importance of dedication to players and staff both on and off the ice. If you would like to get in touch with Justin to learn more about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, or you can contact HockeyMindsPodcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Chris Horn. Director of Hockey Operations with Army West Point. NCAA guests always bring a different angle to the podcast, and I am excited to share Chris's story with everyone on Sunday. Once again, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in today and for your support of the podcast from day one. Continue to follow along as we have new guest announcements, giveaways, and most importantly, more hockey operations stories to share moving forward. As always, stay safe and all the best.